You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, September 27th, a couple days after Notre Dame's 41-13 victory over Wisconsin. We'll talk more about Cincinnati, a little bit Cincinnati today, and certainly uh, in-depth on Cincinnati on Thursday. But guys, uh, Tim Priester here with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. As I said, Notre Dame wins by 28 by scoring 31 points in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame was actually losing in the fourth quarter. But a lot of defense and a great kick return by Chris Tyree, 96 yards for a touchdown, Notre Dame's first in five seasons. Guys, just a recap of what you saw uh, on Saturday in Notre Dame's hard-fought 28-point victory. Uh, I mean, it was it was bizarre to watch. Uh, it, I was definitely getting a lot of uh, 2013 Michigan State vibes, if you remember that game, and trying to watch that one without scratching your eyes out through three quarters. Uh, and it actually, it was interesting. I mean, Notre Dame finished with 242 yards offense and it is the, of Brian Kelly's 106 wins that would rank 104th in total offense, beating out the aforementioned 2013 Michigan state game and the 2012 win over Michigan. Um, so it was, it was strange to watch. I mean, you're sitting there after Wisconsin goes ahead thinking like, all right, this is exactly the game that I thought I was going to be covering um, where one team's going to win by four points. I picked Wisconsin easily could have been Notre Dame. And then um, you watch Chris Tyree bring that back. And it's just like Wisconsin could not withstand that punch from Notre Dame. And they, they folded Notre Dame made them fold, but I thought I have to give some criticism to Wisconsin for being very mentally fragile in that spot because like Notre Dame just freaking knocked them out and Wisconsin once things started to go bad it was like they couldn't get out of there fast enough that's a good point Pete because they actually Wisconsin actually started making a few plays in the second half against Notre Dame's defense the first half I gave Wisconsin credit for six positive plays in the <sighs> first half um the second half they had five on one drive on a scoring drive and then a few yeah. I mean, they didn't have more than like 12 that whole second half but Notre Dame's defense is outstanding. Um, it was impenetrable at times, and aside from a touchdown drive, just great all all afternoon. And you know what? You're allowed to give up one touchdown drive in modern college football. <laughs> I think the defense had a, had a heck of a day. Um, the defensive line depth, we highlighted it in the spring, summer, and August camp, and but uh, it was put to the test. <laughs> Rarely, they didn't just tread water at nose tackle. I mean, the nose tackles made four giant plays in the backfield. It, it was a really Impressive effort by the defense. I, I expect the defense to be there all year like this. And it's not cleaning up something on offense. It's it's finding a way to overcome something on offense. But uh, I, it, at least they have some pieces and skill positions to do that. I thought what the uh, Notre Dame's interior defensive line did was pretty amazing in the absence of Kurt Heinisch. I mean, you talk about next man in. Jacob Lacey, that, Jacob Lacey's performance what I mean, you could put all of his big play, and he's been banged up and stuff. I, I realize that during his career, but you put all of his previous big plays together, and it does not equal this performance against Wisconsin. Riley Mills, people have been saying, well, why doesn't Riley Mills play more? Because he wasn't playing well. I, I thought he was extremely effective most of the time, and he can still get off blocks better than he's shown. And then Howard Cross made a big play, I think, early in the second series right away. So they compensated for Kurt Heinisch, which was a significant concern going into the game. And I, you know, I think, I think Wisconsin has a good offensive line, maybe trending towards very good. It's not one of Wisconsin's better lines, but 
Notre Dame whipped them up front, and it's really kind of hard. I mean, Pete, you're talking about Notre Dame's total offense, 242 yards. It's really still hard to imagine that Wisconsin had 72 more yards total offense than Notre Dame. I don't, yep. I don't really know how that happened exactly. Well, honestly, no drives for Notre Dame in the in the fourth quarter with 14 no, minutes. It, with, yeah, 14 yeah. minutes left. Tyree scores, and there's two defensive touchdowns. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Uh, it, and and it was you know the 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 longer drives, and uh, obviously we'll talk about the quarterback situation. And there are at, there are at least three different opinions about you know what direction that should go. But what Jack Cohn did in the first half, in the second, third, and fifth drives where Notre Dame possessed the football and changed the uh, the field position and did just enough to go in at halftime 10 to 3. I mean, I'm a little bit sympathetic towards um, Jack Cohn remaining as a starter, but obviously we're going to talk about his pocket presence, which has really been abysmal and getting worse. Um, and Drew Pine came in and did the kind of things that, frankly, I don't know that we're shocked by that. That's Drew Pine. He's a scrapper, and that's the kind of player he is. And now you have three quarterbacks that have done some really good things to help lead Notre Dame to 4-0. I thought I agree with what O'Malley's saying with Notre Dame's defensive line. I, I thought that was the matchup that you know, I kind of went back and forth last week where I like, you know, it's Wisconsin, it's Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, whatever. But as soon as we found out Heinish wasn't playing, that was like, okay, I can't, I can't get over that. Um, and so full credit to Notre Dame's defensive line without a starter, a captain, really just beating the crap out of Wisconsin's run game. Um, that was, that was as, uh, that was sort of the surprising matchup um, that I think turned my head a little bit. It's like somebody was tweeting. I was like, well, don't you think Graham Mertz is going to turn the ball over when I pick Wisconsin? I'm like, yeah, like, but I baked in two turnovers, not five. Um, so that, but I, I thought that Notre Dame's defensive line, that was, that was a great, great performance from a group that was not at full strength. And I think Marcus Freeman needs to get start getting well, not more credit, but you think about how they didn't really, you didn't, people didn't think he used his personnel all that well in games one and two. Imagine how much better he has used them in games three and four. Like Jack Kaiser was 57 snaps last week against a passing attack. Isaiah Pryor was 22 snaps. And this, this week he got three. I mean, it's clearly he has learned to, to match up against what, who matches up against what he wants to do. Justin Adamiola now, and that's why I asked Brian Kelly about it. He is in the role of when they're three down and you don't know if that big defensive end is going to attack or not. It's him because as Kelly said, he has good spatial awareness. Yeah. He understands how to drop, how to do these things. I mean, the defense is going to keep getting better too. Yeah, I would think so. Jordan Botello's addition to the defense is significant. I still think that he was, I mean, he was, you know, this is for that's his first game. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's his first game, first game of any yeah. real importance. And I thought that he played composed, but I also thought that there's a lot more aggression in his game. Uh, you know, it's kind of a balancing act with him. And Tim, I think you had pointed out initially that that 43 yard pass to the yeah. backup tight end in watching that, I think Jack Kaiser just chased. Uh, the backup tight end because Botello did the wrong thing on that I think, play. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, yeah. Which tells you a lot about Jack Kaiser, but Botello is going to get better. Jason Adamiola is so good. I mean, he is such a good football player now. And, and I, it was some of the things that I said in the tail of the tape about his motor. Brian Kelly echoed that at noon today. And he just, there is no, 
there is no off play for him. He goes 110 miles an hour every snap. Uh, and it and it's great to have Riley Mills playing a better against, you know, a much better offensive line. Hopefully that portends to him, uh, you know, doing some things moving forward. But I agree the defense is is getting better. Uh, Cam Hart, we were asked, we were asked last week about him being a dude, and I kind of laughed at it. Okay, I'm not laughing, man, because uh, well, him playing to the field side obviously suits him very well. He makes a couple picks. The two linebackers, I couldn't believe the throw that that Graham Mertz threw uh, that, that Jack Kaiser intercepted. That ball I mean, was that in had, the air for oh my so God. long. <laughs> and not, and not, we're, okay, again, we're not taking anything away from Notre Dame, but when an opposing player stinks, you got to point that out too. And that's Notre, where, Notre Dame that's pointed where, it out. Yeah, well, that's, and that's where, <laughs> that's where Graham Mertz, um, I mean, he's got a long, long way to go. And uh, fortunately for Notre Dame, um, he showed that against uh, against Notre Dame on Saturday. Sebo Flemister back this week. Kurt Heinisch still in concussion protocol. Uh, and then Michael Carmody. We'll see about Michael Carmody versus Tosh Baker and who gets the start at left I tackle. I wanted to ask, I asked Kelly a few questions today, but I want to follow up on Thursday. Um, is it going to be if Carmody's healthy enough to compete all week? They find out kind of tomorrow. Uh, is it is all just basically back in that tight end role where he can kind of support the running game? It's probably hard to do a three man left tackle competition. Yeah, in that's season. fine. You, you got to narrow it down. Yeah. Keep Joe Alton number forty five and let him do what yeah. he does. Yeah. Now, I thought he kind of struggled at left tackle, which is understandable. Uh, yeah, because he's playing his first game as the fourth left tackle in four he's the games. 18 year old right tackle that yeah. is red shooting it yeah. would be tough exactly exactly but i think he can do some things in a blocking game i thought it was michael mayer's best blocking game uh george takis needs a little bit of help i thought george takis held on the 22 yard pass uh from pine to avery davis uh, I'm, I'm dipping into my um tail of the tape here for the week but uh, so where do you think well, first of all, let me, where do you think, um, we know what direction Brian Kelly's going to go at quarterback if Jack Cohn is healthy. And let's just state it because everybody has an opinion. Who would you start a quarterback this week, assuming that Jack Cohn is healthy and hits the ground running on Tuesday? I would, I would still start Jack Cohn. I would start Cohn against Cincinnati for sure. I think there's, we can talk later about this, I'm sure, in the questions, but yeah, uh, yeah. if they're going to be pressing that much and challenging that much, I want the downfield threat more than anything else. Yeah, I do too. And I would start Cohn as well. But I mean, Drew Pine opens some eyes. And, you know, I don't know how you guys felt exactly while that was unfolding, but I felt like I had a lot of confidence in Drew Pine leading the offense. And I'm sure that he, I mean, I, th I think there's some body language things maybe with the team that indicate that as well. And, and it seems like a lot of a lot of people that observed the game on Saturday felt like uh, the whole team ignited when Drew Pine came in the game. I'm not sure if that's exactly true, but hey, he, he inspired some quality play and got them in the end zone when they just needed a second offensive touchdown in the game. Hey, look, Drew Pine is a really popular guy on the roster, um, and it, we don't we don't really have a great handle on that, those kinds of locker room dynamics a lot of the times. But like this one is quite clear. Um, when you talk to other people about Drew Pine, he is incredibly popular. Um, so they were happy about it. Like that, but that doesn't mean that he should start because people like him. Um, it's good that they have 
three quarterbacks who all have some strengths and have shown it on Saturday. But like, I would, I would posit that Jack Cohn was really pressing on Saturday for all the dynamics that went into that game. I thought his demeanor was different on Saturday than it had been in the first three games. No doubt. Those dynamics will not be the case this Saturday or any other Saturday. Um, So I would, I would go back to him if he's healthy, but you know, how many times do we see an ankle being a, a, a no games missed type of situation aside from Drew Tranquil, it almost never happens. Yeah. And to, to go over that, my point of, I would start him against Cincinnati. I was going with Tim's. He is fully healthy. Somehow this ankle's fine. Yes. Cause I don't want a less mobile Jack Cohn against Cincinnati. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. That but would, that would I just good. want his arm testing people down the field. I think no, and get I, a shot still. Yeah. And that was a nasty, that was a nasty twist of the foot and the ankle. And so he, let's be realistic about it. He probably isn't. He's not going to be 100% on Saturday. I wouldn't think he would be, but Brian Kelly's not going to tell us that Thursday. No, he won't. And if that is the case, then I would start Drew Pine. And I think think Tyler Butner needs to – well, I mean, Brian Kelly's been saying – said that Drew Pine's been getting 40% of the snaps. So the reality is he he really is number two. Uh, Although if Butner had been healthy Saturday, he probably would have been inserted, right? I we don't know. I don't I don't know. That's a good question. He would have gone yeah. at some point. I think he already would have been in the game at some point. I don't mean Probably taking true. over. I don't mean taking yeah. over. Just, no, just like he in. had been in yeah. the previous games. Right. Yeah. All right. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. We have a lot of questions about this football team coming up. Are you a business owner looking for an all-in-one point of sale and business management solution? Then visit clover.com. Clover from Fiserv, an official payment and commerce partner of Notre Dame Athletics, can help. From accepting payments to tracking inventory, running loyalty programs, and everything in between, Clover helps businesses thrive. Visit Clover.com to learn more. Burning up the board, segment two, question from Jim Booney underscore CRS. Anything from Saturday's performance give you any small indication that the offensive line is getting better? I have one. Go for it. I greatly surprised me, and I still think it was the wrong call, even though it worked, that Notre Dame ran on fourth and two at midfield when they should have punted and got the first down. Very underrated play. Very yes. underrated yes. play. Because my point was you could punt here and get the ball back right there in a minute yep. with first down. Yep. But, I, yeah, they ran right, and they got a first down. That was – well, and that, two. that was after a timeout. That was after yeah. a sideline warning. Oh, yeah, that took forever. Um, I'm still trying to exactly figure out who it was. Did you see it? Did you guys see it? No, I assumed it was a delayed game, and then they said sideline warning. So I had no, no there was a yeah. there was a coach that was too far out on the field. It was Jordan hmm. was lining up in the fourth and one, and I and this coach is trying to get somebody's attention to do something. And I don't know if it, I just, I don't want to throw out a name because I'm just not sure, but you know, and then they came back on and they ran it and they, they got the first down, which I thought was really, really a, a ballsy decision. Yeah. Kudos to them. I yeah. never would have done it. Um, you know, I, I, Pete, go ahead. Oh, no, it's um, I do think that, you know, we talked about this between the break, like Josh Slug is playing better. I, um, I agree. Or right tackle. Um, I, if playing more guys is a sign that it's getting better, like 
some more Andrew Christophic looking for a solution there. Um, and I, I don't know if Michael Carmody's health is a sign the offensive line is getting better necessarily, but like certainly they will go back to him when they can. Um, he beat out Tosh, right? If just think of it. Yeah. Way, he beat him out. But it's not, um, it's not a good offensive line regardless. <laughs> um, I mean, statistically they're, they are just in awful situation right now in terms of yards per carry sacks allowed red zone appearances. Like, you know how many times Notre Dame's been in the red zone this year? Well, it was six going into Saturday. Is it still so it's seven? Zone, uh, it... And it was uh, – so it's nine. Yeah, nine times nine, in four games. They got in three Nine times, times they're tied with Vanderbilt, Connecticut, Georgia State, Southern Miss, Colorado, and Bowling Green uh, for 123rd in the, con- in the country in red zone appearances. Those other teams are five and sixteen. Georgia State played well on Saturday, I heard. So, uh, so Bowling Green. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like, I mean, something's got to give when Vanderbilt and UConn played this weekend. Um, so, <laughs> it, look, the offensive line is – it's it's getting better, but I don't think it's going to be good. Um, I also think that the coaching staff has, has clearly acknowledged that it's not the way they're calling the games. Um, yeah. They're going to throw more on first down. You know, they're not going to try to establish the run for the hell of it. Um, the extension of the running game sounds awesome now. Um, so I I like the way that Notre Dame is trying to call its way around a bad offensive line. Um, so if it can just, I mean, if the offensive line can just be below average, like Notre Dame's got a great shot to, to go 11 and one at I, worst. I believe Brian Kelly said it twice today. It is what it is with the offensive yeah. line, which, which tells you a lot. Uh, but, but I do think that in the second half of the Purdue game and the second half of the Wisconsin game, and you have to, everything's with a grain of salt because they're so bad. Any kind of progress is, you know, you, you raise your eyebrows, but there were, um, Kyron Williams had runs of seven, six, six, and six, and four in the second half. Well, that's that, that is that, huge progress, actually. It, it, no, it, it, it was, is. and they did something similar against Purdue. And I realized how ridiculous that sounds, but considering where they are, where they have been to to carve out that kind of yardage in the second half, is uh, it's it is tiny, tiny progress. They, those weren't all consecutive, but I remember no. in, my, in my film review of Purdue, though, um, Kyron Williams went for six and five. And I wondered, and I had to go look back, is that the first time he's gained more than four yards on consecutive carries? And it was. It was. It was. I, I'm not, that's I'm that's not remarkable. At that. Now, if you could string a couple more of those together, you've, you've helped get the pressure off of your quarterback. Because, you know, other quarterbacks, if they throw 45, if they throw 40 times, they have to. If they throw 50, they're going to throw a couple more picks. It's just the way life is if you're not an outstanding quarterback being pressured. I understand putting Christophic in. He's a bigger body than Zeke Corral. Zeke Corral missed the blocks on Rodas Johnson when Nordame got inside, got to the 10-yard line uh, when I think everybody had the same reaction to Tommy Reese calling back-to-back running plays. The second one, if, if Corral just does anything, Tyree gets through the hole, but he can't do it. I understand putting Kristovic in. He's a bigger body. He was in on the fourth and one uh, quarterback sneak with Jack Cohn, and he got pushed. But I didn't see anything really substantial in in Christophic, uh getting pushed this week, or having gone back and looked at looked at the snaps that he got the previous week. I, I didn't see anything substantial. So 
the the whole notion of just all right, throw this guy out and throw this guy in now. You know, Rocco Spindler. I think Rocco Spindler has a great future, but the solution to your issue, unless he's moving people on the practice field this week, that's that's not a solution. If he doesn't do it in practice, he's not generally speaking, is not going to do that in the game. So you just have to stick with it. I think some progress has been made and we've been talking too long with one question. Go ahead. Yeah, more on the offensive line. AJ yeah. Smith, 2021. Is there a midseason change possible with the offensive line coach? Can you really fire your line coach mid-year or are we just stuck with talent that is poorly coached? This was mentioned a while back and I said no. And I think it was brought up that in 2016, you fired Van Gorder and you, you know, you, you brought in Greg Hudson to coach linebackers. Well, Greg Hudson had a, had a history of, of, you know, with Notre Dame, what are you going, how you can't fire anybody. You can't fire your offensive line coach. Now, if Chris Watt was still here, maybe you could, but he's not, you don't, there's no, there's no solution to that. Now it, it's not even a realistic consideration. It, beside the fact that Brian Kelly's not going to fire Jeff Quinn anyway. Hey, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help anything, so I don't. I don't understand why you would do it. Yeah, and to compare it to the Van Gorder, I mean, that was a one and three rudderless ship where the there right. is no. They, I mean, that is not four and zero oh going to. If you win this game, you're in the top six. Like that was a. They could have fired a lot of people at that point. <laughs> Seriously, like you could have done a lot of things right there. Right? There's some good. There's some good football coaches on that team. And there's a head coach. You could have. You could have fired anybody you wanted to right there, and nobody would have complained. That is not the case now. Um, and as Priester said, the most important thing is it's not realistic. It's not going to happen. And there's not a viable replacement. Wouldn't it be, well, it, you know, Brian Kelly wouldn't make a decision like that anyway, but if Chris Watt was here, I think Chris Watt would, would be certainly would be helping the guards because the guard play is so yeah. unbelievably inconsistent. Well, I want to bring this up because this, there's a weird <laughs> like groundswell that Chris Watt's the reason they had good players last year. I, I do know that Braden, or not Braden Lindsay, Liam Eikenberg said about Chris Watt when asked about the offensive line, this is pre-Alabama, so we had access to the players and everything. He said, it was, I, I should pull up the exact quote, I will after I paraphrase it. It's good to have somebody in the room that understands what it's like to play offensive line at this level. It's great to have a former NFL player teaching us the intricacies of the position. Now, he said those words, and he's an All-American. And obviously he probably has ties to Harry Heastan because he also said in that conversation, I think Harry, he's, I think coach Quinn has done a great job. I think Harry, he the best offensive line coach of all time. It's just a conversation with Liam Eikenberg asking about their great offensive line last year. I didn't ask about any of those players or any of the coaches. It's a yeah. little bit of a thing, right? I mean, that's, that's an odd thing to bring up. Look, and we have, we have, we speculate about coaches and we never see them coach in practice. We, you and I, the three of us get an right. opportunity every now and then. We used to but hear the, Harry. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Colorfully. You could, you could hear Harry. Uh, nobody on the outside ever sees Jeff Quinn coach his offensive line during a practice. Now the proof is in the lack of production in a game. I, I get, I get that part, but. Uh, this is not, this isn't anything that is even worth talking about during the season. There's no sense in even considering it because it's not, it's not possible. You have to keep 
pounding the rock and trying to get better with what you have and switching people around only sets you back further. Yeah. They're doing it because they don't have any choice when they bring in other people at this point. I mean, it's not like Kelly's thinking, man, I gotta get that third guard in. I want to get in a third guard in, see if we can make that work. It's, he doesn't want four offensive tackles, right? It's yeah. The questions you can ask of your offensive line operation today are totally different than the ones you'll be asking on January 10th. You know, that that's, you can take it, sit back and be like, all right, is this working? Um, But right now it's, how do we make the best of the situation that we have? Um, And that that's continuing to try to develop some of your younger players, getting Carmody healthy. You know, maybe you can get Blake Fisher back at some point. Um, You know, can Christophic be more of a left guard than Z Carl? I don't know, but um, that's, it's gotta be more of a, a, a player development question right now after the season, then you can sit back and be like, all right, do we need to go in a different direction? Question from AJ Smith, 2021. Is there a midseason change? Uh, I'm sorry. Indy one Cubs one. I believe we have seen nine offensive linemen in action so far. If all nine are healthy, what is your starting five? I would stick with what we saw at Florida state. I would go back to that. Um, you know, if you want to argue for Christophic at left guard, then, that I think you'd have a good argument, but um, I would I would go with the, the five that we saw at Florida State: Fisher, Correll, Patterson, Madden, and Lug in that order. Unless Carmody has worked enough, at, I don't think he has at all. Actually, if he's worked any at guard, because he's one of their, I think he might uh, be one of their five best linemen. No, that that I think that's worth consideration. Yeah. It's not an overhaul. It, it's right, right. The other ones I would keep though. Yeah, I, I would too. And I and I love Rocco Spindler's future, but if you haven't played him on a 4-0 team at this point and you have a lot to protect, you can't go that route. You've, you played, can't. You, you've, you've played plenty of players to not – if Rocco Spindler was ready to go, he'd be in. I'd love to see him potentially get like Andrew Kristofic level work after the bye week. No, that would be possible too. I, I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't play at all, but you don't just – Throw him into the starting lineup I'm with what you indi- have at stake. Yeah. I'm saying it's an like, indication that he's not ready. If he would have played him, <laughs> right? And it's like you said, Tim. If it's a one and three team, it's completely different. But you got you're playing for a hell of a lot now, and you can't just do that. All right. Question from Any Davis too, and it simply says Howard Cross. I think <laughs> I that feel means, like he, I he think has loved Howard means... Cross longer than you have, Tim. So that's why he put that in there. I, I do remember that you gave oh, Howard Cross. A glowing review as a as a recruit, as an underrated recruit. Any Davis took that another step forward, and I believe he would like a pat on the back from us right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Congratulations, I, I, Eddie Davis well, and Tim Priester. <laughs> I lo- did I well. did. I, I liked Howard Cross a lot coming out of high school, but the problem was he was a a strong side defensive end that looked like he would be a three technique, and now he's a nose guard and he's undersized i mean it's 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 not ideal but tim and i you both both you and i overheard kind of had a conversation with mike elston back in the day and and the thing tell him the things that he that he said about him love the violent hands his aggression he's incredibly hard guy to block i mean his said his use of hands is just elite and i guess that uh, apparently that does offset the 25 pounds you think the nose tackle would have he's (laughs) He said before the year, he said the spring, he will have a breakout year. And that he said that knowing he'd be a backup. Yeah. No, hell of a performance. I mean, really coming through, I can't emphasize enough 
how important it was, you know, for the performance of Lacey and Mills and Cross and Jason Admiola. I, I, that was so clutch and that was so needed under the circumstances with the way the, the offense sputtered. Next from Go Fight Win Irish. Why is Braden Lindsay a starter? Isn't it time to see what someone else can do? He doesn't appear to be a great receiver, but rather a fast guy playing football. You can't just see what someone else can do. It 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 doesn't well, work. They do in practice, way. right? It, well, that's exactly right. You can't just see what somebody does in a game. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Having said that, Braden Lindsay's been targeted twenty times and he has nine catches and he doesn't compete for 50-50 balls the way he needs to. I, yeah, I, I think that I thought Lindsay would be more productive than he's shown so far. Um, you know, he needed one, he needed to make the catch against Purdue, obviously. But um, I think Notre Dame needs him to go up and make some of the plays that we saw in camp where yeah. he made competitive catches. Um, you know, at that point, you you saw him do it in practice. You need to see a transition in a game. It hasn't quite fired on like that. So it's been. It's been, I think, a little bit disappointing for, for mostly for Lindsey himself because, you know, he entered the season with, I think, some earned confidence about the way he had prepared from January to September 1. I, I have thought about this question since I read it earlier. It's a, it's a good question, but I do know why he's a starter. So Notre Dame has to have, with no running game, the threat of Braden Lindsey going deep and scoring a touchdown. And yes. every time on first and 10, Notre Dame throws deep incomplete to Braden Lindsey, that's better than handing off and gaining two yards. In the long scheme, in the large scheme of things, because second and eight with this offense is the exact same team, exact same thing as second and 10. So unless Lorenzo Styles is ready to go in and run all the routes you need Lindsay to run, they don't have another option because you don't want to move Avery Davis out to X. He's a good, good slot receiver right now. Joe Wilkins is just a totally different football player than Braden Lindsay. So it doesn't make that much sense. The only other guy that would be the X quit the team, Lawrence Keys. So there's, there's, well, there's a domino or- effect here. Oh, yeah, or you could take Kevin Austin out of his best spot, put him at X, and He's, put Colsey in at W. But I don't think I not at a lot, not not yet, right? And also, right. I think Tim, I mentioned this to Kelly post game in my question. Kevin Austin's doing has a, has had three really good games, but we also look at him as like, oh, he's a senior veteran doing all these things. He's just like still learning to play football yeah. out there, man. They need he needs to come back. And I'm not just saying that. Well, selfish. he, you know, his issue right now is he's getting pressed on the line of scrimmage, and it's 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 affecting him a little bit. It yeah. affected him more against Purdue certainly than it did against Wisconsin. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he still is an inexperienced player, and I'd like you know, his body language. Just you know, you just. You have a failed play, you pick up pieces and move on to the next yeah. one. Um, and that's important. Lorenzo Styles, I, I would I would assume that if Lorenzo Styles is showing enough in practice that he would be getting some some reps for, Len, for in place of Lindsay. But your point is exactly right. He's to take the top off of the defense player and you need him out there, but he's got to be more consistent. Oh, yeah. For example, you know, going against Fayon Hicks. They, he, he had no chance. I mean, you can't allow a DB to reach the point, the peak of his jump, and you're three feet underneath the peak of his jump. You have no chance of making a play on that ball. He's just got, he's got to be better. And, or somebody's just got to show in practice that he's ready to play ahead of him. Denver Maximus, we have a small sample size from Drew Pine, and he looked poised. Per your guys, or per you guys, people within the Goog have raved about him all season. 
What do we know about him objectively, such as arm strength or downfield accuracy? I, you know, I don't think he's, here's the one thing that I, that I really liked about him in the spring. And that was his throwing motion is very quick, tight, over the top and uncomplicated. You know, I mean, he doesn't slide down. It's not, he gets rid of it very quickly. He's very accurate. One of the problems that we saw in the spring and in August was because of his height, sometimes he doesn't get the football over the linebacker and in front of the safety, but he did that on Saturday. Um, and then, you know, what, what Pete said a while back, that just we know that he's extremely well-liked within the team, and that's important, and he carries himself like a winner. I think, that, I think we can all safely say that when Drew Pine goes on the field, he believes he's going to be successful. That's a, that's a, again, that's a, a body language thing that I always talk about. And, and I think he showed that again on Saturday. Yeah. I think that he's a, can be a good college quarterback. Um, but I, I'm not sure that I would point to, you know, his mobility behind the line of scrimmage is like, well, that's the reason he should play over Jack Cohn. I'm not saying that Denver Maximus is suggesting this, but like, like Drew, Drew Pine's got like, Kind of some Ian Book game to him, I think. Um, you know, he moves around behind the line to scrimmage, fairly mobile, but I wouldn't, he's not Tyler Buckner mobile. You know, his arm strength is okay. Um, I think he just sort of like gets the game. Um, good leader, all that, all that good. Somebody you'd want on your roster 100 times out of 100. Yeah, but I, I do think, and I, I, with Book, he doesn't run like Ian Book. You're saying he moves away from things like Ian Book. He's, he's yeah, certainly behind like the line. Book. Yeah, behind the line of scrimmage, some some good mobility behind the line where he can like move and then still bring himself to throw, opposed to once you start moving, like your mechanics break down, you can't do anything. I think they can win with Drew Pine, but the most important word in here was sample size. Yeah. Small sample size. Those are three. It's actually three words. It's a phrase. Small sample size. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm telling you, I, I really believe if it's 75 snaps against, and it won't be 75 snaps against Cincinnati, <laughs> but people are going to be really mad about how the ball wasn't fit in those windows, how they didn't hit Kevin Austin deep. And doesn't mean he's not a viable. It doesn't mean he won't be a better college quarterback than Jack Cohn. I just feel like they they might need three they might need three quarterbacks this year, starting now, to go undefeated or to go 11 one. For what it's worth, who do you think I had ranked number one in the defensive line first rate? This summer. Cincinnati, right? I did, indeed. I had I it did. as the lowest scoring game in the Monday Musings for yeah. the season. You know, um, you brought that the, up the other day. I actually didn't. Mine was actually a little bit higher scoring when I saw yours. I thought, oh, okay, I get it. I don't, really, I don't really know where I fit on that right now, but it's early in the week. And, and as I said earlier that, you know, I, I just – we haven't had time to really study Cincinnati yet, and so that's what Thursday's podcast is for. Uh, but question from Terry Benedict is having three very good quarterbacks on the roster a good thing for the starter? Is it a good thing for the message board? <laughs> this might be a good time for O'Malley to get a little redemption here because he did rate he did rate Jack Cohn 17th in our in our uh, rankings during the summer. And you know, he was getting harangued for that after the, the Well, I think the, the the best argument someone made, and I get it, was if he's 17th, we're screwed. I just thought Notre Dame had at at least that many better overall football players. And I get how people say, well, quarterback's more important. We don't rank by more important position. It's who is good at their position. And if I look at the list now, uh, Braden Lindsay is not a, a better football player right now than Jack Cohn. That's wrong. I had Braden Lindsay ahead of Jack Cohn. I don't know who else I'm moving out, although I'm moving J.D. Bertrand in for Leofau, who was also up there, but that's just a, that's a fair trade out. Um, I, I think Notre Dame has many, many good football players. Jack Cohn's one of them. 
Oh, Josh, he's yeah. better than Josh Log over a four game season, <laughs> four game sample size too. I mean, that's. So I, is having is having three quarterbacks on a roster a good thing for the starter? Uh, yeah, I mean, if the starter has a bad ankle or a tight <laughs> hamstring, <laughs> yes. Um, and obviously, I mean, the answer to the second part, hell yeah, it's good for a message board and anyone in the media. Like that's that's like you don't have to think about the questions you're asking anymore the rest of the season. Does Brian, <laughs> they just come out, quarterbacks, talk about the quarterbacks, bumps and bruises, yada yada. Do Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese get any credit for having three quarterbacks that have all played well enough to win football games? Or doesn't that count because it doesn't fit the narrative that Reese is an inexperienced play caller and he stinks? They gotta be fired. Because I didn't move the ball on that drive opening the game, I would fire them both. Look, I am not here to defend Tommy Reese at every turn. I have no reason to do that whatsoever. I have no, I have no reason to do that whatsoever. But when I see good things, I'm going to point them out. When we see bad things, we're going to point them out, and that's all we do. I mean, when you know, when when two running plays from the ten yard line Saturday against Wisconsin get blown up, yeah, I have the same first reaction. Then when I see the left guard get blown up twice, well, no, the play has no chance of succeeding. So Yeah, and that goes to my point about the fourth and one. I thought I had no chance of succeeding, but it succeeded. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, the players have to – they do have to come through on, on – at some point, and Pete, you made a great point about how they're game planning around. He's game planning around a bad offensive line. At some point, you have to trust them to do something normal. Yeah, like, which on fourth and one they did. Yeah. Yep. Right, which is why I say you can't abandon the run. You have to find ways to accentuate it when it can work. Which speaking is of the, which. Which is the tricky part. <laughs> our next question, speaking of which, accentuating the run, ND to victory, are kick returns extensions of the running game? <laughs> I just included that because I found it to be amusing. But I'm going to tie that into the next question and make my point that I made earlier, and that was, and this is from data of the 90s, do you think the offense needs to find more ways to get Chris Tyree the ball? What? A couple of weeks ago, when they desperately needed to try a kick return, and he and he and he downed it or called a fair catch or whatever he chose to do, you know you can't you can't overcome a 13-10 lead to Wisconsin in the fourth quarter unless you give Chris Tyree a chance to show how fast he is. I mean, look, I would love to see him get more touches, but the, at the expense of home, like Kyron Williams, he's not getting a lot of touches as is. He's like. He's the starting running back, but they don't hand the ball off very much. Like, should he get more touches over Mayer or Austin? No. Um, so it's like over, over who? Who who should he get more touches? Because like, yeah. like in this with this offensive line, I want Kyron Williams to get all of the carries because it requires like a real brute strength and toughness, not just like speed and agility. Um, it requires and, Jim Brown, Pete. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kyron Williams is closer to Jim Brown yes. than Chris Tyree. You know, maybe you can do some things in the passing game, some more things. Yes, in the passing yes. game uh, with them, and and you know, every time there's a game where they don't over accentuate uh, throwing screens to the running backs, we we inevitably get questions about that. You know, I mean, you had you were going against a great group of linebackers. Uh, can we fairly say that about Wisconsin? Yeah. You were going against a great group of linebackers. And I don't know. I didn't see every play against Wisconsin's defense, um, but maybe they're really good against screens. I don't know. You can't run every play when you snap the ball. How many times? 
69 times in four quarters. There's only so much that you can do. And I, I think he will get more opportunity going forward. I pro football focus had him for 14 snaps and Takis with 35. That was clearly an attempt to protect the life of their quarterbacks and what they were throwing for play help on play action pass and stuff like that. You want Tyree to get, you want Tyree in that 20, 25 snap range, right? I mean, get him a jet sweep. Now we keep saying get him a jet sweep. If you get a jet sweep, they'll probably lose 11 yards because there's nobody securing the edge out there, but you know, you could find him. You could probably find a way to get that RPO back with Tyler Buckner. Cause that was a beautiful RPO. Go back to that. Yes. Yeah. That that's a great point. Um, If the quarterback dynamics were different, then I think, you know, Know, maybe that opens some things with Tyree. As it stands right now, I, I want as much Kyron Owens as humanly possible. Next question from A. Weaver, who I'm going to pretend is Anthony Weaver listening to our show. I think it I think it is, but not the one that you think. Oh, well, I, I was I was kind of thinking of the one that I mean, you know, I, I, really I think it might book. actually be an Anthony, but it's okay. not the former Notre Dame defensive lineman. I'm going with the other one. How would you assess the job Mike Mickens has done the last two years in player development and recruiting? Any idea on his career aspirations? Well, he wanted to be a coordinator, right? I mean, that was that was his aspirations coming out of Cincinnati, and then this situation opened up. But, you know, um, it's interesting because when you get more aggressive up front, your DBs look better and make more interceptions and make more plays. When you play it like Clark, we, Clark Lee played it and tried to keep the football in front of you, predominantly you just don't get as many interception opportunities but cam hart is developing um clearly clarence lewis i don't clarence lewis is never going to be a flashy make big plays kind of guy but i think that overall uh you got you know he got it he got picked on that in the in the red zone on the touchdown i don't know that this past game was one of his better games but i thought i think he's been playing pretty well by and large I, I think Mickens has done a nice job um last year I found it particularly difficult to get a read on like how good the position was or wasn't um but clearly I think he's done a nice job developing the guys you know Hart and Lewis in particular so I yeah I give him a lot of credit he recovered Bracey's career too and Bracey deserves a lot of credit yeah. for that and, Mar- and Marcus Freeman mm-hmm. but he's the position coach and that's Drake Bracey ended last season as low as you can be. And he is now, he started, by the way, against, he started against Wisconsin. Yeah. That's obviously Drake Bracey is now another viable part of their machinery. And we might know a little bit more about Mike Mickens' career aspirations, but we've never spoken with him. So, good point. I don't know. Steve O'Matic, we're going to put two questions together here. Steve O'Matic, uh, with Kyrie Williams' lack of productivity in the running game, Due to Notre Dame's offensive line, how do you think it will impact his draft stock and his decision on whether or not to return in 2020? And I'm tying that in with a question from Kaiser Wilhelm, who asked, should Kyron Williams be moved to the offensive line? That is awesome. <laughs> that is a fantastic he picked question. Up, he picked up Leo <laughs> Chanel, the 261-pound linebacker. Uh, he, Williams hasn't been great on all of his blitz pickups this year, but... <laughs> Neither he's has the game. offensive line, Tim. No, no, no. He's he's game. He's game. But how do you, yeah? You know, how do you think this? Unfortunately, I don't think I don't think uh, Steve O'Mac is going to like the answer to this. How do you yeah. think this impacts his decision to come back next year? It doesn't at all. Yeah. Is what I would say. Like I don't. The people in the NFL are smart enough 
to watch Kyron Williams tape over last year and this year, and then come to a decision. They're not just going to look at the box scores and be like, huh, Kyron Williams, he must've really struggled this year. Like they're a lot smarter than that. So I, I don't think that it will impact it at all. It's in the same way, like Ian book, huh, man, he must've really struggled his fifth year when he only threw 15 touchdowns. Oh, no, actually, it's because uh, the receivers were t- – t- there was no Chase Claypool, um, no Cole Komet. Like, he still goes in the fourth round. So, I don't think Kyron Williams' draft stock gets impacted at all by this season unless he's part of the reason that the running game is struggling, but he's not. He's the reason there is a running game at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it might impact it in that he knows he's got to go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. It's like, yeah, get, it is. Uh, no, but Pete made the right point that the NFL knows all about Kyron Williams. Um, but every running back that can go out there and put what he has done in his body of work for scouts should leave because, first of all, he's an early enrollee, he'll graduate, and you do not have that much credit in your tires in that position. And the NFL really doesn't care about running backs and their longevity. They just want them there. They're so expendable in that league, it's shocking. Yeah, and I, I don't. Re- I mean, how high is Kyron Williams going to go in the draft anyway? It, it, I mean, I, just the way running backs are picked. He was ranked as one of the highest, though, right? You, you <laughs> tweeted something. He was the third, third of the country. Uh, Dane Brugler, who's the draft analyst over okay. at the Athletic, had him, I think, as two or three. Um, you know, I I don't know if that will continue to hold as like you know maybe a mid major guy pops up, um, sure. surprises some people, but um, yeah. I think that he will probably be a, what, a top five running back draft eligible very, next year. So versatile. Very versatile. Yeah, so where, he can do so, a little bit of everything. So um, where does that land you in the draft? My point being that, it, it, it I mean, I'm not sure. If, you know, it's not like if he rushes for 1,200 yards this year, okay, he's a first-round draft pick. No, they don't do that I mean, anymore, I, yeah, really. it just doesn't it just doesn't work that way anymore. So um, enjoy it. Unfortunately, we're, we're not going to – we're probably not going to see the best of Kyron Williams this year. And hey, I want to, a point I want to make when I talk about offensive line and that it's not going to develop this year, I'm talking about, you know, pursuing a playoff spot. Yeah, you're talking about they're not the reason. Yeah, they're I'm not 11 saying, I, 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 you know, six yard gains. I'm saying, hey, they're making progress with that. Right. I'm talking about playing at a championship level. They're not going to get to that point right. this year. Spore two, love the growth of Cam Hart. But my perception is that teams will target Clarence Lewis more. Any concern that he's not living up to his debut season seems like he's usually a step behind his man. We go, we judge guys from one week to the next and throw yeah. out what happened the week from the week before. Or prior yeah. to the week before. Cornerbacks get catches on them. Um, that's just, I don't know. I, I think. Cam Hart and Clarence Lewis are both playing pretty well. Um, obviously, Cam Hart made two huge plays last weekend, but and Clarence Lewis is fine. He's a good, he's a good corner. Um, so yeah, I, I think he will. But you know, is he going to have freak athletic ability at any point in his career where he runs a four three and has a forty inch vertical jump? No, but he'd be a good college player, that's for sure. And I think he'll keep getting better with his experience and knowledge as a college player too, where, and now Cam Hart might take a huge leap and be better than Clarence Lewis next year because of his athleticism and size and strength. But right now, I mean, Clarence Lewis is 
according to the targets, he's been targeted 17 times, but eight. So he was, he gave up five catches on eight targets, but it's on the year it's nine catches on 17 targets. And I think the most important stat is he's only given up 22 yards total after the catch 77 total yards. Yeah. And he got picked on the touchdown. Yeah. He's good. He's got a, he, he's getting up one touchdown. Um, I mean, I, I can on remember why Cam Hart came up. Look, corners aren't going to stop slants, generally speaking. And and now, uh, credit to Mickens and Freeman and Brian Kelly, they flip flop the corners, and and that's mm-hmm. probably a better now. You know, now that Cam Hart is gaining some experience and s- certainly some great confidence from this past weekend, he's to the field side. He learned from his mistake on the PI and, and jumped the route twice, which is which is beautiful. I I. I I wouldn't say that um, Clarence Lewis had his best game of the first four, but you can't judge yep, everything. Yep. You can't judge everything on a slant or when you get picked inside the 10 by, you know, by another receiver. I think it's fair to say Clarence Lewis will probably keep making incremental growth and Cam Hart, Cam Hart looks like he could be the guy that you're like, whoa, he really makes the jump. with Right, his, right. With which his is some of, some of what we heard coming out of the spring. Blue chip man, after being roughed up by the Irish, how much will Wisconsin beat Michigan by this week in Madison? Well, Purdue <laughs> Purdue won 13 to 9 over Illinois over the weekend, so they avoided losing the week after playing Notre Dame like Florida State couldn't, like Toledo couldn't. Uh and probably, boy, I don't know. I have a hard time hard time seeing although they will be back in Camp Randall, which is a which is a huge advantage and uh Michigan's due to start looking like Michigan. So that line went from uh, three and a half to one uh wisconsin was fair by three and a half before the Dame game really and then yeah. after the game went down to one. well they're i That's mean wisconsin's a flawed football team not taking anything away from Dame, but they're a very flawed football team and you know when with cincinnati coming into town um they're going to put a better offense out there and a better quarterback than wisconsin did last week final question from starcevic frank at what point of the season would you say it is realistic for notre dame to run the table Pete, uh, dude, talk to me Sunday morning on this one. That's um, that's when I mean I think we talked about this last week. Yeah, like we did. With they beat Cincinnati. This is a conversation. This is a conversation to have um, until they beat Cincinnati. I, I don't think it's one that you should even really get started on. Well, you might as well get started because if they can beat Cincinnati, then you can have it in the back of your mind and you're all set. Bring in your conversation on Sunday morning with Pete Sampson on his Twitter account, but there. Uh, yeah, I think obviously Cincinnati's favored at Notre Dame. Um, doesn't happen a lot. I think we just saw, uh, I forget who posted it, five is about Douglas Farmer, Thorny's five and two under Kelly, or five and three under Kelly is a home favorite. I remember him losing to uh, Stanford badly way back in the day, if you want to talk about overmatched offensive lines. I like Notre Dame this week, but uh, it's one of those things where Pete kind of said in this podcast, he took Wisconsin because someone was going to win by four, and he went with Wisconsin. I think the Notre Dame Cincinnati game was going to be really really hotly contested and they could use a chris tyree touchdown and jack kaiser touchdown and a drew white touchdown this week too yeah i mean i've certainly softened on north carolina because they can't stop anybody they're horrible defensively it's and that's ridiculous because they have better talent than that and had more returning but yeah you beat cincinnati um and you have a hard game coming up and then i will yeah then i will talk about how difficult it is to go on the road and i you know look i I coached a little bit. And so it's kind of baked in the way I think. And then I covered Lou Holtz who always had you frightened about who the next opponent was. You just have to, 
Notre Dame is such an unfinished product right now that just to assume, I mean, they've been losing. They've been, they either, they've been losing or tied in the fourth quarter in three out of four games. I mean, how, how can you, I mean, how can you just say they're going to plow their way through the schedule when every game is difficult? I'm just not prepared to do that. However, if you beat Cincinnati, you put yourself in a good spot going to Florida or uh, Virginia Tech. I do think, though, let's be fair. Cincinnati's last team will be favored over them, but Notre Dame could lose to everybody because of their offensive line other than Navy. In an individual, uh, I'm not saying yeah. they could go six and six. I'm saying Notre Dame can beat Cincinnati and lose to Virginia Tech. They can beat Virginia Tech, and USC could rise up for one game. North Carolina no, could no, get no, hot. No, 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 I mean, I'm just pointing out that Georgia Tech, you know, they went out there and they beat clubs, or they they almost beat clubs. Georgia Tech is a quality, fine, everyday 500 football team, right? So maybe Notre Dame throws two picks when they run for zero yards against Georgia Tech, and it's harder. But Notre Dame is better than the rest of the schedule. Cincinnati is the big test. Here's what I would say. I think that after this weekend, I'm sort of buying a little bit more into the program DNA carryover of being like just like serial winners. They just sort of like figure out how to figure it out. Um, you know, the, the same reasons that they won, what is it? 35 straight home game or games against unranked teams. Um, 35, 35 and 26 at home. Yeah. Like the reasons that those streaks started are similar to the reasons that Notre Dame can extend them now. I mean, obviously the offensive line is as good as those offensive lines, but you know, Brian Kelly talked about it on Saturday there, there is sort of a baked in belief that like, this is going to work out. Um, And Wisconsin did not have that. Um, you know, does Cincinnati? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they might have some of it, but everyone else Notre Dame plays is going to flinch um, because they've had too many harrowing losses where they haven't shown up, where they've been beaten by, you know, FCS schools or laid an egg in a big spot. Like, once you get past Cincinnati, you should be mentally tougher than everybody else that you play. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a real thing that's happening. This this team is sort of building a bridge back to the last three years um, over the first month of the season. Brian Kelly wins, man. That's what he does. He wins. He wins on a regular basis. He doesn't beat the, the superior teams in the country, and nobody else does. And as it relates to Cincinnati coming up this week, and obviously on Thursday we're going to dig deep into that, Cincinnati almost beat Georgia and arguably should have beaten Georgia last year in a bowl game right before Notre Dame played Alabama. So uh, it'll be interesting again. Interesting that Notre Dame is the underdog going into this, and I think that says a lot about Luke Fickle and his team, and we'll talk to you. uh, We'll discuss more on Notre Dame versus Cincinnati on Thursday on Irish Illustrated Insight. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.